0: Welcome to On Tapes, a podcast about the physical medium of VHS tapes. My name's Rowan, and I am joined by my co-host, Mark. Each week, we'll look at three tapes. One film that I choose, one film that he chooses, and a third tape that we'll pick at random, which could be anything put to tape. Mark, how are you doing today?
1: Mediocally.
0: What is that? What do you mean by that?
1: Uh, I'm not quite pleased with the films that we've watched this week, if I'm being honest.
0: You mean you're not a fan of Dunstan? Uh, Checking
1: in? We'll get to that.
0: We'll get to that. Okay.
1: I'll tell you this: the monkey Dunstan from the film Dunstan checks in much better than Lionel Richie. What are our films today, Mark? Uh, well, you brought the children's comedy film Dunstan checks in, and I brought Peter Greenaway's The Baby of My Son, and the final novelty tape was Lionel Richie at his outrageous tour in Rotterdam in nineteen eighty-six.
0: So Mark, where do you want to begin?
1: Uh, let's go with Dunstan Checks In first. The delightful family <laughs> comedy about an ape who comes to a hotel and wreaks havoc.
0: So this film is from 96, right? Yeah. Directed by Ken
1: Quapis. Ken Quapis, who I believe is noted for nothing else.
0: No, no, he's noted as a TV director. He's directed episodes of Malcolm in the Middle, The Bernie Mac Show, and The US Office. As I said, nothing else. I mean, no other other cinematic classics like Dunstan Checks In.
1: And really, it is a classic, isn't it? From the opening scene, we (laughs) see (laughs) a montage showing the efficient workings of the hotel. We see things being cleaned, things being put in their places, the dining room being laid out, the days going by, perhaps this efficiency will be soon disrupted I by thought, the arrival of a certain orangutan.
0: I thought it was very ASMR in its nature, this this opening, all the, the little intricacies going on here. There
1: was a lot of nice little noises. You can certainly see, I feel like, what Kenneth, Kevin Thomas at the LA Times compared it <laughs> to. He said it was like the unpretentious studio films of the classical era. And while it's no bringing up Baby, I think he's onto something. Uh, In what sense? A bit like Grand Hotel, lots of different characters coming in and getting involved in this farcical situation.
0: I did enjoy all the the side characters they had going on.
1: There was a lot of them, uh, played by a variety of character actors. Rupert Everett, Glenn Shadix, Paul Rubens, and Faye Dunaway.
0: And Dunstan playing himself? I don't know, was was this a famous monkey? I think he was called
1: Sam the Orangita.
0: Had he been in anything else?
1: I'm not aware. (laughs) I'll be honest with you, my research did not extend that far. Didn't didn't show you the, the
0: history of Dunstan? No. The history of what Sam Samuel, what did you call him? Sam the orangutan. Sam Samuel, uh, we're not on uh we're not nickname basis with him. <laughs> so and not after his behaviour in this film. Oh, Do you want to talk about that? Should we should we start with his his
1: his behavior in this film? Yeah, and I'll be honest with you, I chuckled multiple times at his antics despite their irregular nature. The first time I noticed it, I think, was when Dunstan was repeatedly slapping Faye Dunaway's ass during a massage.
0: No, before that, when uh, he when he first meets the kid, whose name is Not gonna lie, the kid wasn't the most interesting character. But the the scene in which he first properly encounters the kid, he gives him a big old kiss in the lips. And the kid did not seem to enjoy it.
1: No. Well, there is a weird sexual undercurrent <laughs> as a whole in this film. And the child's older brother is noted for being a voyeur.
0: Uh, yeah, a horny old guy, isn't he? Yeah.
1: And then there's a later scene when Paul Rubens, I think, is uh, harassing Glenn Shadix who is playing his usual sort of asexual eunuch type character the,
0: the, the whole quest of the older brother in this film is just to ignore the monkey and try and get laid essentially yeah there's a joke in the film about him having porn under his bed
1: it's a weird thing for a To be in a kids film
0: Yeah, there's a lot of this A lot of the weird sexual undercurrent in the film
1: Yeah, like the fact that uh, Glenn Shadix. a running gag with him Is that he's repeatedly accused of being a pervert Yeah And I guess the joke is there That he just seems so sexless as a person That you wouldn't believe Glenn Shadix is a pervert
0: Speaking of that massage scene There's a very weird part where The monsieur propositions The older woman as well
1: Yeah, it's bizarre I think that's kind of speaking to the biggest problem about this film, is that it feels constrained by the trappings of being a children's family film. Yeah. Like, but, the most irritating thing is the child character.
0: Well, yeah, that was the thing at the time, was having talking, talking or comical animals hanging out with children. Yeah. That's, that's your, that's your mould for your 90s kids film.
1: Which very much plays into the market this film was aiming for. Because it did terribly (laughs) at the box office, but it made its money more than back on the video uh, circuit. So this is very much the kind of film I imagine that uh, parents would take their kids to the video store and say, Hey kids, let's rent a movie for the weekend as a treat. And they'd pick Dunstan Chicks in.
0: It's got a very wholesome box for the kind of film it is. Uh, The kids on its knees getting a hug from the monkey, or... Or more knowing uh, what Dunstan gets up to. Um, looking at this box, I don't know what this this is here. It's uh, a suitcase, but it's, it's no suitcase. Using the film, yeah, it's
1: not the suitcase that Dunstan arrives in.
0: It's quite. It's actually quite a bland box, honestly. It's just a white background with text and uh, and the image. Oh, I just noticed in the background, you can actually see his one of his rollerblades. On it the right there, that that was one of the things. I, when that I came up on the screen, I'm like, ah, this is the '90s. We they they start rollerblading around the, the hotel. Have you have you seen the show The Sweet Life of Zach
1: and Cody? Uh, fortunately not.
0: <laughs> the, the, that's what this is like. That is a take on this. It's about two brothers uh, living in a hotel mm. and the escapades they get up to in this. And it's just it's just based. It's basically just this film, but as a show.
1: I would have been so much more open to this film if it wasn't that. If it wasn't about the kids.
0: Ah, but that's the that's the childlike voyeurism, the living <laughs> through them. I mean, that's everyone's dream, isn't it, to just like hang out in a hotel, have free reign to run about, harass people.
1: I guess so, and that's the. Kind
0: oh, a perv on the guests as the older son does.
1: Well, that's the opening uh, conflict of the film. Is when the father says, "If we get in trouble this weekend, then." The uh, will be kicked out and have to live in a Motel Six. Why? Why would they have to live in a Motel Six? Ah, uh, because he won't have a. Do
0: they have no money at all?
1: Apparently not. <laughs> oh. I did think I mean, there maybe were... he's
0: maybe he doesn't get paid. Maybe he's paid with accommodation.
1: Maybe. <laughs> well, I did think there were a lot of intro like in a. It was a well set up film. Mm-hmm. For instance, you know all the little elements that came together the way the various characters arrive. I mean, Paul Rubin's character doesn't arrive until. Over halfway in.
0: Yeah, until all the characters, until the Jason Alexander character is uh, made aware that the monkey is loose.
1: Yeah, and I think Paul Rubin's arrival really picks it up in a middle bit when it starts to flag.
0: Yeah, it's he, he, like a different dynamic he brings and it kind of yeah. shakes it up because it's just the same kind of thing, the first half.
1: I do like some of the dynamics. I like how it's introduced early on that Dunstan has contempt for Rupert Everett's character.
0: Yeah, I do. They have, they have a nice relationship. As wholesome as you can get for. Uh, a man using a monkey to commit crimes.
1: Which I guess Im- embeds sympathy for Dunstan.
0: Yeah, he's set up as... I mean, I think, it's, I think it's not explicitly stated, but he... his brother was... killed? Yeah. By... There's a lot of ambiguity around the Rupert Everett character. Lord...
1: Something or other. Lord
0: something or other. Cause... He's
1: essentially doing a Terry Thomas impression. That's why he has the gap in his teeth.
0: Yeah, you never know if he's pretending to be a lord or is a lord. Is he a lord who just likes to steal things? <laughs> we should mention, I don't think you've seen any Seinfeld. No. But
1: uh, I know of it from exposure to you.
0: Jason Alexander, playing the dad of the film, is most well known for playing George in Seinfeld. Looking a lot different in this than he did does in Seinfeld. He has hair. He does have hair. He has hair, he has no glasses. And at various points the Costanza really comes out. Especially in one scene that I have written down here. The delivery of a line, smelly ledge monster. He really gets uh, Costanza and he does this thing in Seinfeld where he makes a point and he does this thing with his hand. And he does it in the film and I was like,
1: Oh, it's like it's like
0: it's like Seinfeld, it's George.
1: I'm glad you got that out of it.
0: Yeah, that was I mean that's kinda of, why I wanted to watch this because I was like oh, that will be interesting to see Jason Alexander the only other thing I'd seen Jason Alexander in was one episode of Friends have you seen that one?
1: Uh, no, I, well I probably have as you know I have repressed most of Friends but it does come to the surface occasionally
0: Phoebe is like a, a trying to sell toner and she just calls people up and Jason Alexander picks up the phone and Phoebe's like hello do you need toner and he, he's like no and she's like why not and he's like because I'm going to kill myself
1: That definitely sounds familiar. Yeah, and the whole bit of the
0: episode is her trying to stop him from killing himself. Good episode. So back to Dunstan
1: Chicks (laughs) here. Yeah. Did you ever notice how Dunstan is impervious to the effects of drinking large quantities of perfume? (laughs) Is that not a
0: trait all monkeys have?
1: Well, ah, he's not a monkey, Rod. He's an ape. A chimp and a rungatan, even. They call
0: him everything in the film. I feel like they bounce around. They're
1: like, I mean... Well, I was very surprised that the child apparently doesn't know what a monkey is and initially thinks he's a monster and then a gorilla. A ledge monster. A ledge monster.
0: Yeah. Speaking of unhealthy things, he also is a smoker. That's not a good image to sh- to show children.
1: You wouldn't get over that nowadays. Your hero monkey
0: character being a smoker. It really is like these old uh, studio films that you were talking about.
1: Exactly. Fantastic <laughs> noir cinematography on the smoke <laughs> in this film, I thought.
0: It's, it's trying to be a million different things. Like, when I first started watching it, the thing I picked up on most was Home Alone 2.
1: I definitely got an element of that where the kids were being annoying.
0: Yeah, and especially there's a scene, I think it's towards the end of the film, maybe? or the More the middle, I think, in which there's something There's all slipping on and they're falling. Oh, no, it's the... There's like a thing that swings towards uh, his lordship and he moves and then he comes back and it hits him in the back of the head. And I'm like, that's straight out of Home Alone. That's like a Home Alone gag.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, speaking of uh, being Home Alone, I did enjoy the line in this film where the guy told Jason Alexander to get rid of the kids and keep them out of the way and said, we can make a game of it. Call, call it it quarantine. quarantine.
0: Yeah, no, I was a big fan of that. I feel like... Nowadays, this is being recorded in June of 2020, if anyone's listening to this in the future. I feel like nowadays I pick up on that stuff in films way more. Like, I can see the lockdownness in anything.
1: Yeah, it's the same when you're watching a film that has lots of outdoor bits. Yeah. I start to become wistful and longing for the days when I tasted fresh air.
0: Also, we'll, we'll touch on this later, but seeing giant crowds together like we did in, oh. in the Lionel Richie concert, like, I get a little bit like...
1: Ugh. Sad times, and even if it is Lionel Richie. <laughs> so what were your overall thoughts about Dunstan in?
0: Overall, I think it didn't really know what it was trying to do. The plot bounced around too much... It took so long for them to to for for a plot to form. Do you know what I mean by that?
1: Yeah, I did. Just go on. It, it felt very reandering.
0: Yeah, it was that's one what I thing mean. after the other. It was one. It was more like scenes. Yeah, it was just a sequence of scenes that they had to throw a plot through. <laughs> I would love to see a trailer for this film. It was very much one of those films that you can imagine that this shot is done for the trailer.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: What were your thoughts, Mark?
1: Uh, it was rubbish, but I'll be honest with you, it was uh, okay.
0: Would you watch it again?
1: Oh god, no. Ah, uh,
0: yeah, me too. I, I I, would give it a miss.
1: I mean, I was pleasantly surprised that it was not as dreadful as it was.
0: Really? Yeah. So, would you like to move on to your film for yeah, today? Yeah, yes, please. Mark has selected for us Peter Greenaway's The Baby of Masson. On the cover, it looks like a painting? To me?
1: Ah, funny you should say that, because that's very much Greenaway shtick.
0: Is it? Before we get into this film, I have never seen a Peter Greenaway film, but I'll let let you introduce the film first. I'll be honest with you,
1: I don't think this was the ideal place for you to start with Peter Greenaway. (laughs) Really? Yeah, so essentially the plot of the film is, it's a sort of play within the film, and the play is uh, set in the times of Cosimo de Medici, and it's about a woman who has given birth to a child in a town where there's, uh, everyone in the town has become barren and been unable to reproduce, and this miracle child has been born. The daughter of the family who give birth to the child decides that she can use this child to enrich herself and sell it as a miracle worker, and then it turns out that the child actually is magical, <laughs> and then later on... The bishop of the town sees the child as a threat to his power, and his son, played by Ray Fiennes, who is a skeptic and a scientist, sort of forms himself against her, and then eventually all leads to a sort of tragic and grisly conclusion.
0: Which we'll get to. Firstly, I think we should talk about, as we are a VHS podcast the visuals of this film and how they looked on VHS.
1: It's very sad to me that this film is only available on VHS in the UK as far as I can tell. And it looks awful.
0: Watching it, I can tell there's some great set design and imagery going on here. But the version that we have, it's pre-owned, we, we buy all these tapes in. I couldn't make out a lot of things, honestly.
1: Yeah, it's and it's really sad because one of the main pleasures of Greenaway is his beautiful compositions. Mm-hmm. And the cinematography in this film by Sasha Vianney, who also did uh, the cinematography in his earlier films, and uh, he's most known for the being the cinematographer for Alan Renee and Raoul Ruiz. And he definitely brings some of the stuff that he's learned with those directors to this film and to his other films. Lots of sumptuous colours, a lot of red
0: lot of red, a lot of gold. A lot of gold. A lot of uh, almost autumnal colours.
1: Yeah, yeah. A sort of uh, unnatural richness to the cinematography in terms of texture.
0: The ratio on this was different compared to Dunstan, anyway. Very wide. Yeah.
1: It gave you a feeling for the scope of the sets.
0: Yes, but in doing so, it made it harder to watch on VHS.
1: Yeah, definitely. It was hard to see a lot of things that were happening. I would h- have... I feel like if
0: you were watching this back in the day, the optimal way to see it would have been in the cinema.
1: Yes. Although I must say, a lot of the, like, grislier scenes really sort of were made, if anything, more unsettling by the poor visual quality of it.
0: Yeah, that plays into the whole obscured nature of them. Yeah. You're, you're kind of seeing behind something. That being said, I didn't like that the visuals suffered, the, the prettiness of it suffered for that.
1: Yeah, definitely, because I think that's quite an important part of this. There's kind of a grand uh, grand guignol feeling to it, where the the beauty of it is offset by the goriness.
0: So you're saying it wasn't released on any other format, other than uh, VHS, not to date. Really, so I couldn't find this online anywhere.
1: Maybe in like a, I I don't think it's been remastered or anything.
0: Interesting. So
1: if it, if it was online, it would probably have had to be taken from the uh, a, a theatrical version.
0: So it's not released on any other format in other regions either.
1: Uh, I'm not sure. I'd have to find out.
0: Because it's 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 a British film. Yeah. It's uh, it was a Channel Four film production. now yeah. film 4.
1: I guess maybe because it was such a controversial film. Yeah. That it. I could see that. Hard to uh, get on. But let's talk a bit about Greenaway in general. Yes, so so I
0: have never seen a single Greenaway film and I don't know much about them, if I'm being honest. Mark surprised me with this film and I didn't know what I was in for.
1: So Peter Greenaway is someone who is very influenced by the mid-60s master film directors and you're Godard, people like that, uh, Fellini especially, and he's someone who has set himself up in opposition to the usual crop of what you think of as British films, costume dramas, kitchen sink stuff, and Bond, pretty much, is the main three. And he thinks that these films really lack a visual sense because Britain is a more literary culture. We've got Shakespeare, Dickens, all these famous authors, but we're not really known for our visual dials. Mm. And he wants to bring... He, he views cinema as an art of the image, and he wants to bring films that have more of an image-based feeling. So he's very influenced by painters like the Dutch Masters, like Rembrandt, and these wide, huge compositions where lots of things are going on in the frame and your eyes drawn to various places. And he really takes issue with what he sees as a lack of visual literacy in the UK, and he thinks that's maybe why his films have suffered as a result. But he's also definitely influenced, I think, by someone like Ken Russell, who has also expressed similar sentiments about British film. And I think in Baby of Masson especially, it reminded me of Russell's The Devils. And I think maybe that comparison uh, is why I wasn't as keen on Baby of Masson.
0: Interestingly, you say he was all about visuals and then staged this film as a play. Because that harkens back to a more literary form of entertainment.
1: Yeah, you're not wrong, but I think what he's doing with that is kind of exploring the relationship between text and image Mm, in a way that doesn't prioritise either one. It's more the fact that it's so stagey it's so self-referential and metatextual gives you a distance from it and it allows you to consider the relationship between text and image in that way.
0: Yeah, the use of the play dynamic in the film is played with fast and loose. Yeah. There could be scenes that literally take place, you are in the audience watching a stage, and then the next scene it'll be like a grand hall or something.
1: And at the end of the film, he reveals that the audience are also actors.
0: Yes. Yes, as they turn to acknowledge the camera.
1: Yes. Another interesting thing is that when the main character dies, it's implied that she's died for real, and they're only pretending that it's a play.
0: Well, actually, that made me think, because throughout the film... There are segments where the act they're acknowledged as being actors. There'll be a section where they'll walk off and be like, "Oh, that's the end of that act," or something. Yes. And then at the end of the film, the main character is punished, and she is she's made to be raped by the entire town.
1: Yeah, two hundred and eight times.
0: Yeah, it's a horrendous scene. Yeah. Because when it happens in a bed with a, a four-post bed, yeah, with a curtain
1: down it, and you of- could just see the shadows. And hear the screams.
0: Yes. So once they go inside this bed, the woman says, oh, now we can stop acting. And the men are like, no. Yes. More or less.
1: And it's implied that it's being done for real and everyone is yes. watching it and complicit in what's happening.
0: Yes. But in that scene, I feel like that's the payoff on this, of the blurring of the lines throughout the whole film. Because then you, even you are made to doubt, like, is this happening or... Because you're watching f you're watching a play you're watching a film in which a play is being put on. You yeah. know I'm getting lost in my own in my own messiness. But do
1: you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, it feels like all of the barriers are being brought down yes. between reality and fiction. Yes. Science and faith as well, obviously. Between
0: me, the viewer at home, the audience in the stands watching the play and the actual actors. All this is kinda falling in on itself.
1: And it's all tied, I think, to a recurrent theme throughout the film of if we believe something, does that make it true? Yeah,
0: because obviously they start out the film talking as if this child is a miracle child. Yes. And then evidently it is.
1: And as well, the inverse, if we don't believe something, as in a find mm. character, does that make it untrue?
0: Yes, and the people of the town seem to be swayed constantly back and forth. They never really have an allegiance
1: Yeah, it's very uh, focused on this dialectical relationship.
0: Yes. I mean, they prioritise the baby, but they go back and forth on whose view of the baby is the correct one. And they kind of pick and choose when it suits them.
1: Yeah, and that subjective viewpoint is really what we're presented with throughout the film. Yes. We're given the objectivity of seeing everything that happens, but because it's staged like a play, there's a lot of interpretation to that.
0: And interestingly enough, the audience in the stand of the plays also seem to, they participate in it like a like a pantomime.
1: Yeah, a lot of clapping and cheering.
0: Yeah, and booing. And they're also swayed.
1: Yeah, which affects yeah. your opinion as the viewer.
0: Yeah, because you're supposed you you would think that you are your opinion of these characters is meant to be informed by the literal audience in the film, but even they are going back and forth.
1: Yeah. Or are we supposed to view the audience with contempt and think about them as a bunch of brave idiots?
0: Yes, think of them as on the same level as these townspeople yeah. who know no as because we know that they should know better as outside and not active participants, but they op- become active participants. It's it's, a, it's such a meta mess. Yeah, not mess. It's it's well done. It turns my brain into a mess.
1: That's the question though is it how much of this film is a mess and how much of it is not?
0: that's how I approach films like how much of this is a mess
1: I definitely didn't like this as much as something like the cook the thief his wife and her lover
0: to explain that film to me
1: uh, it's a kind of Last Supper type layout and there's all of these people coming and going it's kind of a metaphor for Thatcherism and Michael Gamba is this <laughs> rich crime boss who has taken over this restaurant is eating these extravagant foods and being very abusive to his girlfriend, and just sort of it, this view of so it's a similar vibe to this film. This kind of disgusting, decadent uh, sort of end times feeling. Yeah, that the staging of it makes it feel like there's like nothing outside of what you see, mm-hmm. which is similar to this film. It kind of feels like we've reached the end times, and this is all that's left. Is this superstition and disgust and uh, debasement?
0: What did you think of the performances in this film?
1: Uh, they're good in terms of their... Purpose that they serve? Yes. I You
0: definitely get the feeling that the actors that we see are definitely going for a more theatrical sense, which makes sense within the context of the film.
1: Yeah. I did like the creepy voice the baby had.
0: <laughs> Interesting. I like the singing voice that the baby had.
1: The whole thing about the child baby, he did feel quite... There was a weird spiritual aspect of the baby that creeped me out.
0: Yeah, you say the voice of the baby, but the baby doesn't talk. No. The baby doesn't move its lips, you just hear it. Yeah, that's the
1: worst part, and the way it just points.
0: I mean, yeah, well, that adds to the. Um, like, you see depictions of gods where they just don't need to. They can convey things without vocalising it.
1: Yes, I think to give it an actual child voice would freak. Would be less, oh, it?
0: It would turn it into like primary school nativity
1: yeah <laughs> we just
0: crumble and become that
1: or just like a terrible horror film about an evil kid
0: yeah yeah or that too I was more thinking like the stage of it
1: but there was something very unnatural about that child I've done about the baby who <laughs> do you, you know remember uh, a few weeks ago there was a large baby going around the internet but yes
0: I know you're talking about the there was a video of a, a large baby yeah on twitter that just looks terrifying yeah that's kind of what the child was like because the child was naked at least shirtless most of the film yeah and too big and too big especially as a baby yeah as a newborn baby I was looking at that thing I'm like obviously they can't use an actual newborn baby no because it wouldn't make sense in the
1: context of the film because yes because it's
0: a play and obviously they're not going to go for complete realism in a play
1: yeah and also um, this is a play set in a town where people can't have kids
0: yes so you you would expect uh, a birth to be abnormal, per se. Yes. But no, that that baby was extremely large, and it did freak me out. I'm glad you feel the same.
1: Uh, how did you feel about the film overall?
0: Overall, I definitely enjoyed it. I it was an experience like I haven't had before. Yeah. And I attribute that to the the presentation more than anything. Like obviously, I've seen more meta films than this, but they're different. You know how this is just this just. Just the presentation of this, I hadn't seen this before, and it it made me feel like I was watching something, I don't want to say groundbreaking, that seems too strong, but it was just something different.
1: Yeah, which is good. I wasn't a huge fan of it. You weren't? No, no, I did like, I did like it, but I was kind of, uh, I read a review by Jonathan Rosenbaum where he said he was determined to watch it to the end because he was so fascinated by it but he didn't enjoy the experience. That's a better
0: word. Fascination. That's a good word for how I felt. Yeah. Just with the whole presentation of it, yeah.
1: A very controversial film when it came out, as you can imagine. I,
0: I thought it was gripping. Yeah. Again, I I, I wrote down the, the start of it. I definitely was confused. I was just... I Because it throws you right in. I was just confused by what was happening.
1: Uh, and those book endings with the ragged band.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I knew it was coming to an end. I'm like, oh, he's back? Oh, okay, well, must be roughing up soon. Once the daughter character was more or less introduced yeah. and she made her intentions clear, I was
1: like, oh, let's see where this is going. It, it got into a clear sort of rhythm. Yeah, I would definitely say I enjoyed it. Yeah. Did it remind you of uh, Renee or Ruiz? You've seen a few of their films. Uh, did it? Not overly. Not even the self-reflexive aspects of Ruiz? The, the theatricality, the stories within stories. I suppose
0: so. I could, I could see that. It didn't strike me when I was watching it, though. Upon reflection right now, yeah. Mm. But if you hadn't told me that, I don't know if I would have made that connection.
1: Well, I do think the things they do are definitely different. Sure. Another loss, I think, of this film was the absence of his usual composer, Michael Diamond. So there was not really much music in this film. Yeah. And it kind of made it a bit uh, less engaging. As
0: I said, yeah, the only music that stuck out to me were the uh, the songs sung by the baby. Yeah. Which I found quite soothing.
1: <laughs> they definitely had a kind of spiritual mm. transcendent aspect of them. Anyway, shall we move on to the final thing? The
0: final tape. The tape which could be anything, but turned out to be Lionel Richie Live. <sighs> So to set the scene for why I am in possession of this tape, to try and cut costs, I guess, trying to save money when buying all these tapes, I bought a couple in bulk. So I would see tapes that I, I liked the look of. I thought, yeah, I'll get there There might be like selection of four, and I like two, and it's cheaper to buy them as a two. But then I get stuck with stuff like Lionel Richie Live.
1: And you very much played yourself because you like Lionel Richie even less than I do. Well, and I do not care for Lionel Richie. My idea very much. for
0: this segment was to buy a bunch of tapes that didn't contain films, and I would let Mark talk about films for most of the podcast, and then I'd shop him with something that would crush his soul. Unfortunately, I've crushed my own soul in addition to Mark's soul because I hate Lionel Richie.
1: And I received only a moderate crushing. Uh, so, how do we talk about this? How do we how do we approach this? Uh, well, let's first of all talk about the music. Uh, it was awful. But we, that's that done.
0: Should we, should we get the rundown of songs that yeah. are on here? So, he
1: opened with Hello. As you do. Uh, not a good opener. I guess it makes sense because he's introducing himself. It doesn't roll the crowd off. Well, it did roll this crowd off. Yeah, he comes out. Well, so you don't actually. That's a lie. He hasn't come out
0: yet and he sings Hello. Is it me you're looking for? The piano
1: is playing itself.
0: Yes. To which the audience screams, which I take as a yes, and I assume Mr. Richie does too, because then he comes out to perform the rest of the song. Then we roll into uh, his other hits, All Night Long. All running. Night. Yes. <laughs> running with the Night. Go I've on, got Mart. nothing for that one. Oh, you do. It's your favourite. <laughs> it is my favourite. Go, go on. I can't remember where it goes, though. Some favourite, that is. Then into Truly, into You Are... Into one, two, three, <laughs> <laughs> times, times a lady, <laughs> lady. <laughs> then into Ceylon, say <laughs> then into
1: see you, say me, then into sailor. Was that the song? I think that was the song that we didn't know what they were saying. Oh. That was when he did a Jamaican accent. A oh, good
0: the sea, sa- Yeah, okay. I, I hadn't seen it written down before now. Yeah, then into Tonight Will Be Alright, and the encore was dancing on the ceiling. Uh,
1: yes, in which the image was flipped upside oh, down.
0: Whoa, 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 whoa. Let, let's go through it first. So, so how did you feel about the stage setup?
1: Uh Blonde. Blonde? Okay, good. Moving on. <laughs> it's no stop making sense. Oh, I'll I, tell you that much.
0: I've only heard the I own the record of Stop Making Sense I've only ever heard it I've never seen it Uh But I can imagine David Byrne has uh, slightly more stage presence than uh, Lionel Richie
1: He has a personality
0: He seems just Lionel Richie this is seems to just walk about
1: Yeah He's not even wearing a massive suit
0: <laughs> He's wearing a shirt with a bunch of Things attached to it almost Something like it looked that. very uncomfortable Look looked like at, it would have been a heavy thing to wear
1: At one point one of the fans gave him a bunch of flowers Which was quite nice yeah, And, and he, she seemed very moved Yeah he seemed quite uh, indifferent Oh she should get her life
0: <laughs> She should uh, She must have paid She was in the front row right Yeah She must have paid so much money Just to give him some flowers
1: And then he held those flowers the entire concert I wonder when she bought them
0: I wonder if she arrived with her friends or whatever and thought, oh hold on let me stop past the petrol station. I need to buy some flowers.
1: It's the classic last minute gift. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) What
0: if what if Mr. Richie points at me in the audience and I have nothing for him? (laughs) Got maybe five Euros in here Euros, what were they using? What was what was the currency in the Netherlands in nineteen
1: eighty six? I don't know. Ah, yes! The Dutch (laughs) guilder! The amount of facts you get on this show. Yeah. It really is an I, education. I had to rack my brain for that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Definitely didn't just Google it.
0: So where were we? Uh, which tra- track did we get to? Uh, Running With The Night, which you know from the video game GTA Vice City.
1: Good song. Don't remember how it goes, though. <laughs> oh, wait. No, I do remember. Running With The <laughs> Night. Playing in the shine! With the night! (laughs) I don't know the lyrics. I can't totally say it. Forget it, forget it! (laughs) Carry on. Till the morning rise! Do, 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 do. Carry on. Uh, Then you are. Yeah. I'm just going through the
0: tracks again. There's. If I'm being honest, not a lot to say about a concert like this.
1: There's that one that has the same refrain as easy, but it's not easy. The bit that goes. Oh, yeah, that's. That's
0: say you say me. Yeah. Except it's not easy, which is a good song. I'm not going to lie. A lot of Lionel Richie's songs just strike me as incredibly bland. There's not a lot to them. I don't know how a man like this can fill an arena. <laughs> fill, fill the ahoy is the name of the venue, as, as stated at the yeah. end of the film.
1: Much like Lionel Richie's current fans, a great many of the people in the audience were middle-aged white people. Yeah. So, you know, he's got a recurring audience. Yeah. Anyway, next
0: song, Sailor. He... Did an b- intro to the song where he was like, "Do you want me to do a different accent?"
1: Yeah, he kept going on about being Jamaican.
0: Yeah, he's not Jamaican. He's not Jamaican. Is he? Does he have Jamaican heritage? No. Okay, that's that's good to know. He anyway. kind of
1: came across a bit uh to me.
0: Yeah, and he got the whole audience to sing along in their ac- in their best Jamaican accents yeah, as well. Pretty weird. Yeah. Then a song called Penny Lover, which I don't remember. No. We listened to the we watched this tape maybe two hours ago, and it's just. Gone right through me. Can we just skip to the final track? Oh, not before. Tonight will be alright. And then the final track, Dancing on the Ceiling. In which? We, we actually, we should mention this. Because throughout the whole tape, whoever edited this tape loves their gimmicky music video effects. Yeah. Like your super standard effects. In which like, they will box him and then take him out the frame in a box...
1: Proper top of the pops type stuff.
0: Proper top of the pops, top proper MTV, early MTV stuff. There'd be parts where it would freeze for a second and then he'd come back in like, like it like like he's moved.
1: Which gets us to the peak of this. yes yeah,
0: sorry, I keep cutting you off and I know all you want to talk about is, is the end of this. Right. So Talk us through it, Mark. Talk us through it.
1: Rowan, the song is called Dancing on the Ceiling, is it nut? What it, it is indeed. What if we were to take the image of Lionel Richie dancing on the stage and flip it upside down? Well, Mark, then
0: he would indeed be dancing on the
1: ceiling. Exactly. No. what else if we took his two guitarists and put them on wires... There were more than two! <laughs> also, it was a guitarist? Yes, we put them on wires and flip them upside down and make them do weird upside down wire dancing while he's on stage singing, and then flip that image upside down. Well, then they'd be dancing on the floor again.
0: Ah. Exactly! (laughs) God, that segment was a mess.
1: This is after he'd returned to the stage in that weird, slow-mo, kind of blurry way. Yeah,
0: that was another effect they had, in which they would kind of slow it down, but it was... 1980s video,
1: so they didn't really have slow mo. So he looks like the album cover from Paradoise.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's wielding his sword. Yeah. Wielding his microphone like a sword. They. That encore, we saw him off stage for a couple minutes, but they must have had to wire up all the band. So yeah. I wonder if there was a cut in there somewhere in which the encore, the gap between him leaving and the encore was actually like 15 minutes.
1: I feel deceived.
0: Yeah, either that or I'm very impressed at the, at the amount of time it took them to get wired up.
1: If this was stuck making sense, then he just let the Tom Tom Club go in on that bit while <laughs> David takes a rest.
0: Yeah, which we all love. Everyone loves a bit of the Tom Tom Club. Oh, yeah. Yeah, anyway, yes. Yeah, so I have been very vocal about how much I don't like Lionel Richie's music. As a guy, don't know, might be sound. You have
1: had traumatic experiences with Lionel Richie, as I've heard.
0: Yeah. Well, how do you feel about Lionel Richie? Uh, Indifferent to Richie. Indifferent Much like you are. Indifferent to cinema. Good stuff. Glad we have that established now. Yeah, not much to say. Please,
1: can we not have that
0: again? Yes. Thankfully, now it's out of the pile and we can put it to the side.
1: Oh, I'm sure what we have next week will be even worse.
0: Speaking of which, Mark, would you like to go and get your tape for next week?
1: I sure would. So, much like Lionel Richie was in the Netherlands for his concert, I have a Dutch videotape for an American film. Apparently, it's a symbol of quality, Elk System VHS. Oh, God. Uh, It's Alain May's Mikey and Nicky, (laughs) starring Peter Falk and John Cassavetes. Interesting. I'm looking at this case.
0: I haven't seen a case like this before. God, it's... Gorgeous, isn't it? Looks it looks old as hell. Okay, I'm very excited to watch this.
1: This is a film I've seen before, and I'm a big fan of it. It's kind of similar to Cassavetes' kind of thing, but directed by Elaine May, who is a lot funnier. Okay, okay. good. I'm excited to see it. Yeah.
0: So, my film I'll present you with now... Kid's Return.
1: I... Ooh! It's Takeshi Kitano!
0: It is Takeshi Kitano, who we had a conversation about earlier today.
1: Yes, indeed. And I
0: had that conversation knowing
1: full well that I was going to pick this film today. I have never heard of this. (laughs) Good! From the director of Violent Cop, Sonatine and Hanabi. That is the ones I have seen. Are they? I've only
0: seen Hanabi, and I watched it a few years ago now.
1: It's a boxing film? About the... It is about the Yakuza, but... Really? The Yakuza? Takeshi Katana making a film about the Yakuza? Okay, I'm looking at the box. He is in it and he's wearing his cool glasses. That's me solved. Yes,
0: okay. Uh, So I think this is a good indication for next week because we both seem quite excited about each other's films. Yeah. The only thing left to do now is to pick another tape for next week, Mark. This is where it could come crashing down and we could be met with
1: despair next week. I'll get the hat.
0: me shaking them up. Good, uh, good heart-shaking sound.
1: And I will now unfold the piece of paper. It says... Number five. I'm not
0: sure what that is. I will go run and get it.
1: Good, good. Okay, so based on the faces and the noises <laughs> you are making, I am not excited. So I'm going to hand you the tape. Right. I'm not lucky yet. Okay. The Great Dorset Steam Fair 1998. Official video filmed and produced by Jonathan Eckhart.
0: So, I think this is a tape made by someone. Not produced by... Not produced and distributed by anything. Just a tape a guy made.
1: Bro, the words running time thrill is on the back of this box. A tape... <laughs> Shall I read it out? Do you want <laughs> me to read it the back? Over a period of 30 years, a few like-minded men made a little gathering of engines in Dorset into the foremost steam fair in the world. More amazing still, Michael Oliver, a show secretary, has shaped it for all those 30 years. The show is a celebration of the glories of steam and the heritage of country life. Wherever you go, wherever you turn, you'll see the extraordinary. Hundreds of steam engines of all shapes and sizes Tractors, horses, men and machines, heavy vehicles, cars, bikes, wheelwrights, thatchers, coopers, blacksmiths and hurdle makers. Corn, dollies, lace and spinning wheels, model makers, twins and jumble. Collections of the most unbelievable items. Rows of mighty showman's engines driving a fair Hollywood cart match. Ferris wheels, gallopers, clowns, dancing girls and a riot of modern gear. Frightening those riding them out of their wits. All to the sound of countless fair organs. It is a feast of sight, sounds and smells, magical at night. A marvel of a show. Come rain or shine, spectators arrive in their thousands and thousands of leave knowing they have seen the greatest show on earth.
0: Well, if this tape is half as good as your dramatic reading of the back of the box, then I am excited. I can tell you're not as excited.
1: Look, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> I'm, I've been promised the greatest show on earth, and frankly, if it doesn't deliver, if it's not even as good as the Cecil Peter Mill film of that name, I'll be disappointed, to be quite honest with you.
0: I'm going to be honest with you. I hadn't noticed it on time.
1: Three hours. Indeed. And that's about it
0: for this episode. <laughs> Are there any closing thoughts, Mark? Uh, I despise you. It was all going so well. I displace you. So well. Well, I hope that you, the audience, enjoyed this inaugural episode of On Tapes, and hope you join us next time for our discussions about Kids Return, Mikey and Nicky, and the Great Dorset Steam Fair 1998. That was the year I was born. (laughs) We'll see you then. Goodbye. Goodbye.